Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels surrounding the throne and the living creatures and the elders. They numbered myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, singing with full voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slaughtered to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them singing, To the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. In the book of Revelation, we have so many images, uh, images that are uh, John of Patmos uh, brings out of his uh, dream that he had, images that uh, evoke in us uh, uh, amazement, sometimes fear, uh, oftentimes many questions. Uh, there is so much in Revelation. One of the things uh, that we have, one of the images, is the, is the new city coming out of the heavens. And this is what uh, is being referred to here, this uh, seemingly angelic uh, realm, uh, worshiping around uh, God. Uh, and I thought about this city, especially, uh, you know, it seems like every time we get into a political cycle or every time the tax statements come out, uh, you know, we get our appraised values and, and, and we go, oh my gosh, you know, we start thinking, you know, is it all worth it? We, we, these comparisons go on about life uh, in the city and out in the country. And uh, uh, it seems like that's an inevitable kind of a comparison, especially uh, in our culture, uh, even though there seems to be a resurgence of a lot of young people migrating back into the downtown areas of, of cities. Uh, there still seems to be uh, a lot of people searching for a better quality of life and, and flocking to the rural areas uh, for uh, school districts uh, where uh, education is the focus and, and less divisiveness perhaps in the school districts. But any number of things, uh, uh, and we still compare that quality of living in the city and, and living out in the rural areas. It's interesting that when we uh, look for examples of cities uh, in the Bible, at least in the Older Testament, the Hebrew Bible, uh, it seems that there are some prejudices, if, if you will, some prejudice, prejudices uh, against city life. Uh, for instance, in, in uh, Genesis chapter 4, uh, after Cain has killed Abel uh, and, and God sends uh, uh, Cain away, the first thing Cain does is starts a city. He organizes a city as if that's going to be the response to, uh, to being separated from, from God. Uh, after uh, the flood, you remember when uh, uh, Noah built the ark and, and his family uh, began to repopulate uh, the world after the flood waters receded, uh, the, the people began to build a city. Uh, and in the middle of that city, they began to build this ginormous tower uh, that we know as the Tower of Babel. And, and, and as they were getting that tower higher and higher so that they could be on God's level, uh, God uh, scattered them from the city and, and changed their language to, to keep them from doing the things that were like God. So we have these kinds of, of moments where city life is not at least, it doesn't appear to be as we read the, the Scripture in, in the Old Testament, that it's uh, of God. And then, we, of course, we can throw in the cities of Sodom, 
uh, Gomorrah, Nineveh, Babylon is, uh, we know is a kingdom, but also Babylon is referred to as a city. So we have all these kinds of examples uh, in Scripture where it doesn't seem that God is real favorable to city life. Uh, but today uh, we have some of those same kinds of comparisons. I read a story uh, about a, uh, uh, it happened in New York City a few years ago. There was a wealthy woman. Uh, she passed away, and in her will, she left all of her money, her entire estate, to God. And so the judge, after uh, looking at this and, and hearing the probate, uh, he broke the will. And in his uh, response, he said, uh, after extensive search, uh, we cannot find uh, that God lives in New York City. And I thought that was kind of a, <laughs> an interesting response uh, but, but, you know, people, people are, have you ever been suspicious when people move out of the city? You kind of like, okay, are you bringing problems out here? Uh, are you going to bring your kind of way of life and try to change our way of life? And, and this just kind of begins to feed on itself. And, and as this area of, of North Texas is on the verge, uh, the cusp of exploding with population, including Wise County, uh, you know, we probably have been thinking along those lines. But I read something else uh, that, that's startling. There are many rural areas, if you will. When you compare quality of life between city living, uh, rural living, there are plenty of rural areas, my friends, where suicide rates are higher in the rural areas, where uh, opioid use, I mean, you can look at some of our recent news and see what our sheriff uh, has been talking about. Divorce rates in some areas of rural life higher than in the city. Alcoholism in some areas of rural life that are higher than it. See, so we're not immune from problems, and we can't blame it on people leaving the city and bringing their problems here. It's, it, people have problems no matter where they live. But I read uh, another interesting thing, and this one person says, you know, really, we don't live in cities and rural areas. We live in one big city. And, and the way they made their point is through technology. They said with television... And now social media, you think about that. With television and social media, we have closed the distance between our family and relatives if they live further away. Uh, we, we, we just have, have become really one big city, this writer seemed to claim. Uh, but I also read something uh, uh, that speaks uh, to, the, uh, to the notion of, of, of living uh, apartment phenomena is what they called it. And they said the root word, apart and meant, even though people live with just a wall separating them, they're oblivious, if you will, to what goes on with their neighbor. They probably don't even know who lives next to them in these apartment buildings. And so these kinds of phenomena exist uh, in our world. And even though we have uh, technology uh, we are still uh, in, in this age of, of not knowing one another. This passage of Scripture that I read to you just a moment ago from Revelation, uh, we have this physical image of the city of God descending from the clouds. And, and it's a glorious picture when you go back and you read uh, all of the imagery that comes along. Here are some of the things that, that you need to, as you're trying to, well, what, what was John seeing in his dream? Well, he saw this new Jerusalem coming out of the heavens. And on every side of this new city, it was 1,500 miles long. So this starts to tell you some of its size. It had a wall that surrounded it that was 216 feet high. And that wall was made out of jasper. 
Uh, everything in it has got perfect symmetry. There are 12 gates around this new Jerusalem. There are 12 foundations, and in the foundations, the names uh, of the 12 apostles are carved in those foundations. Every kind of expensive or, uh, or, or nice uh, jewel that's known in the world is a part of this new Jerusalem. It, it's just a glorious kind of a picture uh, that, that, that John gives us in his image. However, there's no temple. Like the old Jerusalem had a temple in its center, the new Jerusalem has no temple. And John reasoned that it's because God is at the center. God and the Lamb that is revealed uh, in this book of Revelation. So it's by God's glory that light comes, and that light is illumined by the Lamb of God. That's how this city is designed to be. In cha uh, chapter 4 uh, of Revelation, we see this, uh, this, these concentric circles. And I know this is kind of puzzling because it's Revelation, it's apocalyptic literature. But in these concentric circles around the throne of God, there are the four cherubim, there are also uh, seven angels of presence. And then after that is 24 uh, angelic elders. And these are the people you heard in that passage that I read to you that fell down and worshipped God. They surround God's throne. So we have this image of the city of God. Quite a contrast to the cities you and I build. Quite a contrast uh, to the cities that you and I live in. Even if we don't live in a city we still, imagery, we still live in a city. But in this city of God, there's only one being that is worthy to be handed the scroll. The scroll that we talk about that contains the, the, the names of the other lambs. And it is the one lamb, Jesus, who is the Christ. He is the only being worthy to receive the scroll. And thereby, He is the one set apart to be the judge over all the other beings. And it is by His sacrifice, He ransomed His people away, that we have salvation. So I want us to compare in the last few minutes these cities, the city of man versus the city of God. The first thing, uh, in the city of man, uh, we are driven uh, and we drive people apart. Whereas in the city of God, people are brought together. Think about that. In that apartment phenomena I was talking to you about, we build these uh, buildings so we can house a lot of people, but we do nothing to build community in those buildings. We put walls between families. They often don't know who lives next to them. They don't know what goes on. And so we kind of uh, design life and our culture and society to, to keep people away. With technology, we've got air conditioning. We, we don't go outside like we used to. We don't get to know our neighbors we're able to humor ourselves inside the walls of our home. So we do more to drive people away than to bring God together, or as God brings people together. Think about the competitive nature of life. Think about how when you are, if you're in the workforce today, what it takes to make advancements. Think about how competitive that is. If, you've, if you're retired, think back about what it took to, to get a promotion, to get a raise. Sometimes it was the cost of your coworkers. Uh, you had to excel in order to exceed. And so we do more to drive people away from each other, whereas God seeks to bring us together. Vance Havener tells a story. He and his wife were, uh, were traveling in the mountains, and their car broke down. He, he described it. We, he said, we broke down in front of a hillbilly grocery store. And they went inside, and, and were talking to this woman who seemed to be, they described her as a hillbilly. I'm not trying to be offensive, but that's the word he used. 
And he said she seemed oblivious to everything that was going on in the world except what happened right around in her immediate area. And her, his wife said, uh, she said, you know, this is really sad. Maybe we ought to tell her about some of the current events that are changing the world. And, and Vance said, no. He said, let's just let her live in the world that she lives in. She's likely to die in peace instead of bringing her to these problems of the world. And so I found that story to be interesting. Have you, has anybody heard of the Sorcerer's Apprentice, the story called The Sorcerer's Apprentice? Another example of how we, we work to, to make life easier, we, we do so and we separate ourselves from God. In The Sorcerer's Apprentice, this, this young man takes on a job. He's helping an, a, a sorcerer. Uh, so just forgive me for the image, but, but it tells a, a good story. So the, the sorcerer assigned the young man to bring buckets of water to him. Uh, whenever he needed water, the young man would... Well, after a time, the young man saw it not so much as a job. It was becoming a hassle. And so one day while the, the sorcerer was away, he got into some of his, his uh, incantations and he found one. And, 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 and he cast this spell and a, a broomstick appeared and the broomstick began to carry water into the house. And the young man thought, oh, this is great. And, and as the, the, the broomstick made trips back and forth with buckets of water he noticed the floor was getting wet. And the broomstick cont continued to carry more water in. Well, he, he, he wasn't so concerned until it got up to his ankles and then got up to his uh, thighs. And as the water continued to, to rise, he didn't know how to stop the broomstick from continuing to bring buckets of water in. He, he began to panic. He went back to the books and he couldn't find any kind of a spell to, to stop the water from, from coming in. And as, as it was getting up to his uh, mouth and nose, the master came back. And quickly spoke a few words, and not only did the water stop, the water went away. Friends, we are like that. Not that we follow a sorcerer, but we have been given hope. We've been given the opportunity to trust in a real master, a master who, who shares his love through his son Jesus the Christ, who gives us hope, who encourages us, and yet we can try, continue to try to live life without that master. We try to do it on our own. We're so competitive. And so the city of man is governed by laws and regulations and expectations, and yet the city of God is governed by love. And the other point I want to bring up to you is the city of man has this personal kind of expectation on us. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. I get that. Yes, some of that's necessary. But the city of God... The love that God has for us is a free gift. We can't earn it. It's not owed to us. We don't deserve it. And yet God gives this love to us freely. What, which city do you most often find yourself residing in? The city of man or the city of God? It's an interesting question. We see the, the angelic beings falling down and worshiping God. They're, they're already in this new Jerusalem, the new city that's come out of the, the heavens, a city where Jesus died so that all people could be present, and yet we find ways to be different than other people. We find ways to separate ourselves not only from people but from God. And yet God wants us all together, learning to get along, learning to love one another, being present not just with our friends and family, but with all people. And I think in that is where we begin to find and experience God's greatest gift, that love, that grace that displaces, as I was trying to tell the younger, the younger kids, 
displaces all of those problems of the world if we trust. The good news is, friends, we can have dual citizenship. We walk this life. We live in the city of man, but we should have our citizenship in the city of God so that we can be reminded that God loves not only us in unbelievable ways, but, but our neighbor who may look different from us, who may speak differently from us, who has a different lifestyle from us, who comes to us with problems that even people in the rural areas suffer from. Divorce, alcoholism, victims of violence, opioid use, all of those kinds of problems. But we don't cast them away. We're called to love them and to give them that hope that is in Jesus Christ. In just a moment, we're coming to the Lord's table to be reminded yet with more evidence, more signs, more, more power, more presence to remind us that God is not through with us. That as citizens of God's world, of God's city, that this, this table that's the Lord's, we're invited to, to be a part of what God is doing. Not only in the past, but today, and what God promises to do in the future. So I hope and I pray that you will think about your citizenship. And when you're tempted by man's cities, laws, expectations, privileges that you can remember your citizenship in God's city so that you can be that you can be a person shaped by the love of God in the name of the Father and in the name of the Son and in the name of the Holy Spirit amen